always with the Word of God. Take your Bibles and turn to the book of Ezra, chapter 3. Our main text is two verses tonight. We'll be referring to a few others as we do this message. But our topic tonight is defeating disappointment. Defeating disappointment. Ezra chapter 3, verses 12 and 13. The Bible says, But many of the priests and Levites, and chief of the fathers who were ancient men, doesn't that sound good? (laughs) That had seen the first house, when the foundation of this house was laid, before their eyes, wept with a loud voice, and many shouted aloud for joy. We began this particular topic, defeating disappointment, several weeks ago now, about three weeks ago. Took a break last Sunday night, no service. But this is taking place During the time the first wave of Jews have come out of captivity back to the land of Israel. Now again, there were just a few people who were alive who remembered the former days. And for those, everything had changed. I don't know exactly when they were deported. There were three waves of deportation. There were at least two or three waves of coming back. So I don't know how much destruction had taken place when some of them left the city. But now that homeland, which was once ruled by the Jews, were in the hands of the enemies. The city doesn't look like it used to. It lays in ruins. We were in... Ezra and Nehemiah, the last few weeks in Sunday school, Nehemiah came to rebuild the wall because the wall had been torn down. The temple of Solomon that he built 500 years before this is gone. Completely destroyed. If you read the book of Daniel, you'll find that when Nebuchadnezzar went in, they looted the buildings, including the temple. They took gold, the silver, and everything and anything of value. Now, by the way, just a side note. Uh, Years before that happened, Hezekiah was king. And Hezekiah had a visitor from from Babylon. And he took him to the temple to show them all the gold and all the things they had. And the man of God came to him and said, Hezekiah, what have you done? And I have no doubt God had already told the man of God what had happened. And he said to Hezekiah, those same people will come. And they will take everything you've shown them. How many know that God keeps his word? Temple's gone. Gold and silver gone. As far as we know, the Ark of the Covenant was gone as well. We read a few weeks ago they had to even rebuild the altar of sacrifice. It was destroyed as well. And you know, I know we've studied this many times through the years. You've read it in your Bible reading. But I don't don't think we can imagine how horrible it looked. The destruction, the, the rubble. For a few years, I, and when we had our, my dad and I had our business, we did a, a lot of work for a general contractor who specialized in rehabbing fire jobs. I don't know if you've ever been in a house that's burnt out. It's horrible. It just, just, uh, even though we never owned the house, it was, it was depressing. 
you know, you just can't imagine. And you look at that, and of course, you know, we didn't at least know some what we were doing. You wonder, can you ever restore it again? But the good news is, some of the Jews have come back. <laughs> and thank God for some men who led them, who inspired them. And they said, you know what? We are going to get to work. And of course, we read it a few weeks ago in Ezra and Sunday school and this past week or two in Nehemiah. The first thing they did, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, in the first six verses, they rebuilt the altar. Kind of interesting, they did that before they laid the foundation of the temple. The second thing they did was to begin to relay the temple foundation at verses 7 through 9. And then today, we're going to focus on that in just a moment. They take a break. And they pause for a time of public praise and celebration. I want to tell you something, folks. God has given us reason to praise and celebrate. Even in the midst of the rubble. Reason to praise and celebrate. So in verse 10 and 11, we're not going to read it again tonight, at least not all of that. We'll pick it up a little bit, some of that in a moment. But the foundation is laid. And then we read in our text tonight in verses 12 and 13, something strange happens. Something very strange. There was cheering and there was singing and giving God praise. There were young people there. And man, they were excited. They were dancing. They were cheering. But there were some older folks there. And they shed bitter tears. Now we read a few weeks ago the shout of joy and the weeping were so intense and so loud it was hard to tell the difference. But it was both there. Joy and weeping. And I mentioned a couple of weeks ago when we looked at that verse, the problem was wrong expectations. Now, I remind you who's in charge here. It's God. And so the question we, we ask again tonight is why? Why were the older generation, why were they disappointed? And the fact of the matter is we know they looked at the foundation. It wasn't near as large as Solomon's temple was. And they remembered how good things used to be. And so they, at that moment, while some shouted for joy, they wept because they were living in the past with all of its glory and they were struggling to deal with the present reality. But how many know the God of the past is the God of the present? The God who was in charge then in the past is in charge now. And so they were disappointed. And there are times in our lives we have been disappointed and we will be disappointed. And I think we have a pattern here or at least a guideline principle we can go by if we're going to overcome disappointment. And we're just going to highlight most of these because we've been through them already in detail. But the first thing they did in chapter 3, verse 1, they rebuilt the altar. There was a new dedication. In a word, a fresh start. Do you ever need a fresh start? And they had that. We've got to begin there. Second of all, not only was there a new dedication, There was a new obedience. 
they relayed the foundation of the temple. Now, don't miss the order of what went on here. The first thing they did was to rebuild the altar, and they reestablished their relation with God. Folks, we've got to do that sometime. Isn't that true? Now, let me give you a little bit of theology real quick here tonight. You can only be saved once. Jesus died once, and you're going to be saved once. But there are times in our lives where we get disappointed, we backlash, whatever it might be. And we have to have a fresh start. And we go back. We go back. And we rebuild that altar. And refresh our walk with God. We mentioned a week or so ago, one of the worst things about a task like this, when there's rubble around, it's got to be cleaned up first. Things were in the way. Had to be moved. And that's what they faced. Everywhere they looked, the wall was torn down. The place where that glorious temple once stood was a pile of rubbish. A horrible, horrible sight. We mentioned a couple of weeks ago there was two important facts about this rebuilding effort. Uh, number one, in chapter 3 of Ezra, verses 2 and 4, they followed God's instructions. How many know if you're going to get a fresh start, you've got to go God's way? Second thing they did, they resisted opposition. How many know Satan doesn't want you to have a fresh start? And he will do whatever he can to keep you from coming to that point in your life. So they relayed that foundation, even though they were surrounded by enemies. And my friend, those enemies did everything they could, everything they could, not just to discourage them. They did that, of course. They wanted that work to stop. If you ever took time to read the entire book of Ezra, they did succeed for a little bit of time. So we have a new dedication. They rebuilt the altar. We have a new obedience. They really the foundation. But the third thing we left here two weeks ago, they had a new priority. They determined to praise the Lord. Now, we were in Nehemiah this morning. We talked about the the wall around Jerusalem. And uh, Nehemiah gives details about how they were separated on the wall by families and what they were to do if trouble came and uh, the assignment each family had, the portion of the wall they were to build. And we found that it took about 52 days to complete the building of the wall of Jerusalem. But I find it kind of interesting in Ezra, their focus, of course, on rebuilding the temple. But we don't read anything about the actual process or how much time they spent doing it. Now, by the way, one thing I think is important here, it may have well been because their focus was on the results. They had their eye on the end. No matter how long it would take. Now, we're not going to do any more further study in this series in the book of Ezra, at least not on this topic. But there were some delays. And where the wall itself in Nehemiah's time took about 52 days, it would take years to finish the temple. And one of the reasons was because some of the opposition discouraged them. But Ezra reminds us that 
In the process of relaying the foundation, all of a sudden when this foundation is laid, how many know what a foundation is? How many know when a foundation is finished, you've got a lot more to do? A lot more nails to drive. A lot more to do. But a celebration begins. The priests that are there begin to blow trumpets. The descendants of Asaph played the cymbals. And they begin to sing. He is good. Now, if Wayne was there, he would have said all the time. But they sang, He is good. Yeah, thank you, Wayne. His love, his love for Israel endures forever. So the foundation is laid. They stop for a while. The people, the leaders, the priests, the Levites. And they gave thanks to God. Gave thanks to God. And what was interesting, this was united public praise to God. And I am convinced, according to what we read here in Ezra chapter 3, this praise was intense. It was emotional. But most of all, it was God-centered. Think about that. And as they sang, they didn't say, we are good. They said what? God is good. God is good. And they didn't really, they didn't even say, we did this with God's help. And that would have been true. But as they sang those praises, they gave God the credit. And guess who deserves the credit? God does. And I think again, it's interesting. They didn't wait until the building was finished to praise the Lord. And again, it was certainly a, a milestone. The foundation is done. But yeah, there's a lot to do. And it'd be a long time, year, before it would be finished. First step, but they still stopped. They said, Lord, we want to give you praise. I'm going to read uh, not, right not in a moment in verse 11 again, but let me remind you. I would guess because of the two different responses, the weeping and the joy, I would say there were some in the crowd didn't really feel like praising God. It wasn't what it used to be. And that's why we've got to remember something about praise. Praise is a choice. And I think a good principle here is this. We don't have to wait. In fact, you're not supposed to wait until we feel like praising the Lord. We're to praise God at all times. In the midst of every area of our life. And it doesn't matter whether we feel like it or whether we don't. And I don't know about you, but there are a lot of times in my life I don't feel like praising the Lord. But I've got to realize that doesn't matter. Because praise is not about my feelings. It's not. Praise is a choice. 
that we have to make no matter how we feel. Because hear me well. Praise is not about our circumstances. It's not about us. It's about who? It's about God. And my God, our God, always deserves praise. Now here they are. Just the foundation is laid. They're not finished yet. And the victory hasn't been won yet. But they didn't wait till the victory was won. They praised God anyway. And I think there's some principles here tonight, folks. We need to praise God when the battle begins. Amen. Now, make no mistake about it. Those leaders involved in rebuilding the temple as well as the wall in Nehemiah's day, they didn't under, underestimate the task ahead of them. So you got to praise God when the battle begins. But you also have to praise God when things are going against us. If it's true for them, it's true for us. And one of the benefits to our spiritual life comes... When we can praise God, even when things are not going well. So here in this, in the middle of all this rubble and destruction, the only progress they'd made at this point was the altar and the foundation being laid. Still controlled by the enemies. The people joined together in the Bible said with one voice. They said, God is good. God is good. And I have to say tonight, folks, that is true faith. That is true faith. I can only speak for myself. I find it easy to praise God when the sun is shining. I find it easy to praise God when my bills are current. When good things are happening. When the future looks bright. But it's a whole different story. To praise God when things in our life, our circumstances, are far from perfect or sometimes even far from good. So it's, it's a, I think, a sign of maturity when we're able to look at our circumstances And say to us, to ourselves, and to God, it's not what I wish it was, or even what I want, but God is still good. He is still good to me. Let's go ahead and read verse 11 of Ezra 3. It says, they sang together by course in praising and giving thanks to the Lord. Why? Because he is good for his mercy endureth forever toward Israel. And, notice this, all, all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord because the foundation of the house was laid. I love it. Notice the unity. And I know there are mixed emotions there. But the Bible says, all the people shouted for joy. Every one of them. 
Now again, let's read verse 12 again. We read it earlier, but many of the priests and Levites, chief of the fathers, who were ancient men, who had seen the first house when the foundation of this house was laid before their eyes, wept with a loud voice, and many shouted aloud for joy. So yes, there was a mixed reaction. There was a mixed reaction. I want to say tonight, I don't care who you are, if you're one of the ancient people or not, or younger people, we need everybody. We need everyone. We have some friends of ours who we've known for years. Her mother and dad used to be our next door neighbor when we lived in Summerside. And I've had the privilege and honor of doing both of her parents' funeral. And she's already told me I've got to do hers too. Um, but she told me a few years ago we were talking, and uh, we weren't. They had come up here to visit with her parents. And she said, "You know, there was a time in in our Christian ministry, our Christian service, we were the young people in church, and now we're not." Now, she didn't use the word ancients, <laughs> but she implied, we're not young anymore, we're the old people. But I want to tell you folks, the young people need the old people, and the old people need the young people. So, you know, why, you know, mixed emotions, and we, the young people rejoice, why? Because all they knew was Babylon. They had never lived in a homeland. They never saw the glory of the first temple. Now, they're certainly they heard about it through the stories of their parents and grandparents. They never saw the temple Solomon had built. And so they, they didn't remember the glory of that. And they didn't see it being torn down. And so all they knew was a picture they had in their mind from the stories from their friends, from their parents, of how things used to be. I was speaking, I have an uncle just a year older than I am, and he knows my dad real well, of course, because my dad married his sister. And I was telling him one day about some of the things my dad's doing now. He said, don't forget, we'll be there one of these days. And it's getting close. So, can you imagine in your mind the older generation told story after story after story of the good old days? The golden days, the glorious days. And they'd heard their stories. But that's all the younger generation knew. They didn't know it by experience. So when they they saw that temple foundation finished, to them, it was an amazing answer to their prayers. Something is now happening again. And for the younger generation... It was the closest thing to the temple they had ever seen. They had ever seen. And they saw no reason to weep. They were excited and they shouted for joy. And in their hearts, they realized... It's time to celebrate. We have reason to celebrate the goodness of the Lord. But we have to be careful here because we don't don't want to be too hard on the ancient ones. And I again, our text is very clear. When they saw the foundation of the new temple, they remembered the size of the old Solomon's temple. And it broke their hearts. 
And so they remembered how good things used to be. How grand and glorious it was. But I have to wonder, along with remembering the glory, surely they hadn't forgotten what what caused that destruction. Surely they recalled what they lost because of their disobedience. So it was fitting that they should weep. But they also needed, excuse me, to pass on lessons that they learned from their past experience. And the same is true today. It's true today. So, where are we at? The young needed the older people to remind them of the past. And the older people needed the young people to encourage them about the future. God is at work. And the fact of the matter is, they're where God wants them right now. Don't miss that. They've got to obey the voice of God. I, 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 I'm just so amazed how this worked out because I didn't plan it that way that we would be in Ezra, Nehemiah, and Sunday school during this time in this series, but it worked out that way. Having been in the building business for so many years, <clears throat> one of my favorite things to do once we're finished with the project, whether it's a room addition, and we built several houses through the years, once it's all finished, to kind of stand back and look at it. Just stand back and look at it. So what happened here in Ezra? If we stand back and kind of take a look at what happened, it's amazing. It is an amazing, touching time in the life and history of Israel. And I think there are at least four lessons we can draw from this to help us overcome disappointment. Number one, give your memories and your dreams to the Lord. Give them to Him. It doesn't matter what they are or how they were. If your past was better than your present, give it to God. Give it to God. If your past was not better than the present, give that to God as well. And there's nothing wrong with having dreams and hopes and big plans. But in all of our dreaming and all of our hoping and all of our planning, we have to give it to God and we must be willing to say, Lord, I want your will to be done. Listen for God's voice. We need to take the past, whether it was happy or sad, take our future, which is unpredictable, And give it all, our past, our present, give it to the Lord who spans the pages of time. Give it to Him. And we have to come to a place in our lives that we realize that God is the God of yesterday. He's the God of tomorrow. So, Lord, I want to give them to you yesterday, tomorrow, so I can live for today. Isn't that what God's called us to do? You can't live in the past. And a lot of people are stuck in that. 
And we can't always be having our head in the clouds thinking about the future. Because if we do either of those, we miss the present. And we need to live for God's glory today. So number one, give your memory, your dreams to God. Number two, accept your present situation because it's from God. That doesn't mean, well, Lord, I give up, I throw my hands up, and you know, resignation. Doesn't mean you stop and give up and quit fighting what you believe in. It means that we realize we are where we are today because that is where God wants us. We've heard his voice. We are where God wants us to be. Because here's an important point, folks. If God wanted us somewhere else, guess where we'd be? Somewhere else. All through this series, in almost every part of it, we are reminded of good theology. And the only way we can conclude that we are where God wants us to be is if we have a high view of God. And a high view of God comes only from good theology. Who is supreme? God is. Who is in charge? God is. And I realize most of the time we have to come to that certainty of that by a conscious choice of our heart. Lord, I know you are in control. I know you are sovereign. And I know, Lord, I'm where I am because this is where you want me to be for now. I am here by the sovereign choice of a loving God. And by the way, how many know our God never makes a mistake? Ever. Now again, does it mean it's wrong to change our situation if you need to? And if we can. But here's the thing. And Rick, that's one reason I like that song you sang tonight. We have to remember, higher hands than ours are working in our lives. The hand of God. He's at work in our lives, and we're being led by God. Give our dreams and memories to God. Accept what we are. Number three, no matter where you are, obey God. We sang that song a while ago, trust and obey. Truly, there's no other way to be happy in Jesus than to trust and obey. <clears throat> Quite a few years ago, when I worked at General Motors, there was a, uh, a fellow who worked in management. He was uh, an inspector. And at that point, I worked in the paint department, and he would come around twice each shift. Um, on second shift, that's where I was at, and he would inspect the paint. And he knew I was a Christian. And uh, when he realized I was Free Will Baptist, he, uh, he himself, years ago, had Free Will Baptist roots. And he told me one day, he said, do you ever get mad at God? And I said, well, not recently. And he said, well, I am. He said, I applied for another position and I didn't get it. And, of course, I was uh, quite a bit younger in my Christian walk at that time, and I didn't quite understand all of that. I'm not sure I understand it now. But his problem was he didn't have a high view of God. And because of that, he became disappointed. And 
he allowed his disappointment to turn to bitterness. And my friend, that's not good. That is not good. Because when that happens, we become sort of numb to what God wants us to do. We're not doing what we know we ought to do. Things begin to slide. doesn't matter what it is. Apathy sets in. And we wonder, well, how do we get out of this? Now understand, there were some there in Ezra's day who didn't like what they saw. They were disappointed. But the answer is this. Make a decision in your heart that we are going to obey God where we are. Obey Him where we are. No excuses. No more delaying. No hoping for better days. Or more favorable circumstances. And I have to tell you, folks, I'm convinced that when those folks came back to begin relaying that, building the altar and the, and the, and the foundation of the temple, things were not what they wished they were. Oh, how they wished it was different, but it wasn't. So they didn't, they didn't hang their heads and disappoint. They didn't become bitter. They rolled their sleeves up and they got to work. They got to work. And by the way, because they were willing to do what needed to be done, they began to change the way things were. It began to look better. Now, one thing for sure. You might be thinking, well, you know, maybe, I don't know, Lord. You know, it, it, mm. What if the situation doesn't improve? Well, I can almost guarantee you it won't make it any worse if we do what needs to be done. Several weeks ago, we were in Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 10. Let me read that again. Whatsoever thy hand finds to do, do it with all thy might. And the fourth thing is this. We need to praise God because He is good. Thank you, Wayne. I was going to wait till we said something. I said that. <laughs> In spite of what our circumstances might be. That's what they did. They got to work, and as they began to see things finished, they offered public praise to God. Somebody once said, rough seas... S-E-A-S, rough seas make great sailors. Rick, you sang a moment ago about the things that God allows that drives us to our knees. Think about that. And that has to be the basis of our thanksgiving and our praise. Because God proves his goodness, not only in the good things he gives us, but he also proves his goodness in what he allows to come into our life. And that's why we have to know God is good all the time. So God was going to allow some hard times in our life. 
Because God knows those times are going to force us out of our comfort zone. And at those times, they bring us to a place in our lives when we realize all we can do is to trust God. Many, many years ago now, I spent the day at one of our friends' house, and they used to attend our church many years ago. And they were having trouble with one of their children. It was an awful day. And I was there all day long, and as I left and drove home, I thought, Lord, I I didn't accomplish a thing. I went home that evening, and I got in the shower, and I thought about the events of the day. In the shower, I fell on my knees. And I said, Lord, the only thing I know to do is trust you with this situation. Because I don't know what else to do. See, here's the thing. (laughs) How many know hard times are hard? And the reason is because hard times are going to force us into a place where we have to trust God. It's during the difficult of, of our lives that these hard times are going to move us, our spiritual life, from theory to reality. And my friend, you can read all the books you want about how God takes care of his, of his people. You can hear thousands of sermons about how God takes care of his children. But it's not until we experience it firsthand that we realize those truths are self. And those truths we've read about in theory, when the difficult time comes, they become a foundation that liberates us. A life that cannot be blown away by the winds of adversity. When the storm is passed, We will thank God for the knowledge and the confidence that we would never, ever learn any other way. I hope you've been saved long enough to know by now. If not, you're going to learn this. There are no shortcuts to spiritual maturity. So give thanks even when your circumstances are not the best. Oh, my goodness. Jeremy told me last Sunday, they came over for Father's Day. He said, Dad, I knew we were in trouble. When I saw you had four pages of notes, and it was already five to, five to twelve. Four quick things. God's grace is so great. Think about this. No matter how great our sin is, His grace superabounds. Isn't it good? Number two. Whenever we are humbled by God, Our praise will always be sweeter. You know why? There'll be no pride in our lives. I forget who it was, a preacher years ago said, it's doubtful that God can use a man until he breaks a man. Number three, it's better to begin 
small with God than not to begin at all. And number four, it's better to rejoice over what we have rather than to weep over what we used to have. Let's stand together. I want to remind you tonight, folks, and I probably don't need to say this, but disappointment is a tricky, tricky emotion. It's not wrong to remember the past, not wrong to grieve over what you lost, even if that loss was caused by our own dumb choices. Because grieving might remind us, don't do that again. But there has to come a time we determine and resolve we've got to move on. So the question I want to leave with tonight is this. How long are we going to allow our future to be defined by our past? How many know this is what grace is all about? Father, we thank you tonight for your goodness. We thank you for all you've done for us. And Father, I pray that you will help us to lay every one of our disappointments at the foot of the cross. And not just lay them there, but Lord, to leave them there. And help us to give you thanks in all things. And Lord, by your grace, help us to move forward. And we ask it all in the precious name of our Savior, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And all God's people said, Amen. Folks, thank you for coming. Uh, Don't forget about Bible study Wednesday night. Come out and be a part of that. Focus is still going on. Uh, Also be a part of